You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, ready to take you through another season of Gonzaga hoops. This episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. All right, so the Zags are 1-0, folks. We're just going to get right into it today. The college basketball season is officially back. I don't know about you guys. I tried to watch as much different basketball as I could. I watched Akron nearly upset Ohio State, which would have been a fantastic start to the season. I watched some of Kansas and Michigan State. I watched the Ducks and Texas Southern, which was a pretty ugly game. I watched the University of Washington getting absolutely pounded. I watched Pepperdine. I watched Arizona State versus Portland. I'm just so freaking happy that college basketball is back. But more importantly than any of those teams, I'm happy Gonzaga basketball is back. And despite some challenges early in the second half against Dixie State. The Zags prevailed. We saw some really good things from this team. We saw the the excitement about Chet Holmgren is very real, very palpable. He is going to be an absolute monster this season. I am going to resist talking about him exclusively today, but you're going to get a lot of Chet Holmgren conversation because he was an absolute menace against Dixie State in his first game. We also saw some not-so-good things. Uh, we saw some turnover issues. We saw the three-point shooting that we knew was going to be a concern with this team kind of reared its ugly head, particularly in the first half. It got better as the game went on, but this is a team that is with—it's not without their flaws. You know, I think that there are some reason to believe that they are not as polished, certainly, as last year's roster. When you have players like Corey Kispert and Joe Eliyai, you've been around for such a long time, and you, you lose that experience and replace them with true freshmen, you're going to get that a little bit. It's just kind of a part of the deal. The Zags don't have a lot of time to to deal with these growing pains. Their next game is against Texas, a team that has a ton of experienced players on it. Now, granted, many of those players are transfers, which means that their roster is still trying to gel as well, similar to Gonzaga's. They just have a little bit more experience. We'll see how Gonzaga is able to kind of get themselves ready for that game. We'll talk about that when we get there. Let's talk about the trailblazers of Dixie State and what Gonzaga managed to do in this game. For this first segment, I kind of just want to go over the good and the bad that we saw in this game, little quick recaps on each of those things. Second segment, we're going to talk more about my takeaways from the game, specifically what I said to watch for ahead of the game. If you listen to yesterday's episode previewing Dixie State, you heard the five things that I'm going to be watching for. We're going to look at those things, how they played out in this contest. And then the third segment, we're going to take a look around the rest of the WCC. Every team in college basketball division one played today. So we're going to look at the how the WCC schools did, if there's anything that kind of jumps out at us after those games. So let's start with the good from this game. The good number one thing, Chad Holmgren. <laughs> It's really hard to not lead with Chet Holmgren in this game. He finished with 14 points, 13 rebounds, 7 blocks. 
six assists. The seven blocks tied a school record set by Shemek Karnowski, I believe, in the 2014 season. That is a known record, at least. There are some people who think perhaps that uh, that record is maybe was passed by players long ago and they just weren't keeping records. I think that's possible. But regardless, in Mark Few's tenure as the head coach, according to the record book, Chet Holmgren now is tied for the most blocks in, in a single game in his first game. He nearly did it in the first half of his first game. An absolutely ridiculous performance from Chet. Not that we're surprised. Of course, there's the caveat here. Uh, I don't always want to be the person who pulls who pours cold water on everything, but Dixie State's tallest player was 6'8". So there is some, some level of... And now Chet's blocks were mostly because of his athleticism, timing, things like that, but He's probably not going to get seven blocks when most of the players going up against him are also seven feet tall. However, I've made predictions on this podcast saying I do not believe that Chet Holmgren will get a triple-double this year. Uh, and I, I might be going back on that. <laughs> I might change my tune here. After just one game, I try not to be too reactionary to single games, particularly against opponents that are, uh, let's say, just outside of the Ken Palm top 275. <laughs> we'll put it that way to be as diplomatic as we can. But Chet's, Chet's an absolute otherworldly talent. There's no other way to, to look at it. His body control, his timing, his ability to know when to jump and when to just keep his hands straight up and not lean into guys. The fact that he didn't commit very many fouls in this game, just an incredible amount of awareness for a player of his size and his age. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Beyond just the block shots, which is the easiest thing to talk about in this game. There are so many other things Chet does well. Staying on block shots for a second, one thing that I, Austin King noticed this on Twitter, I want to give him credit for this, but Chet's really good at not just blocking shots to block shots. He He's block shots in ways that get the ball to his teammates, he either tips them to himself and then makes outlet passes. He blocks them to teammates. He doesn't just swat them out of bounds. While blocking a shot out of bounds can be really nice uh, to get your team energized and things like that, it just gives the other team the ball back. Tim Duncan was really, really good at this. This was a skill he had. He blocked shots to teammates. It looked like he was making a pass sometimes. And this is something that we saw from Chet in this first game. Uh, sticking with Tim Duncan, the Zags use Chet Holmgren, similar to the way the Spurs and Greg Popovich used Tim Duncan. I know Dan Dicko made a reference to Dirk Nowitzki in the way that the Mavericks used Dirk, and I can see that a little bit as well. But I really got flashes of that. Tim Duncan, he comes up to the high post, he catches the ball right there, and then anything can happen. You can have guards run off handoffs off him. You can have him turn and square up and either take the guy off the dribble, shoot the 15-foot jump shot, make an entry pass into Drew Timmy. There's all sorts of options. He can step back, shoot the three. We didn't see a lot of that in this game. He went 0 for 2 from 3 in his first game. So kind of the one thing we didn't really get a chance to see. I'm not super concerned about it. We'll get to the three-point shooting on the whole later in the episode. But I'm not really worried about it with Chet. But I, just, I love the way he's being utilized. It makes the most sense. What it does, too, is it mitigates the zone defense. We saw... We saw Dixie State run a zone. I thought that we would. We saw Gonzaga put Chet in the soft spot in the zone, which I thought we would. And he's just a terror right there. It doesn't matter that Gonzaga's not a great three-point shooting team. If Chet Holmgren is playing in the middle right there, he is impossible to defend. I think teams are going to run into that a lot where they're going to try the zone because they see Gonzaga's a bad three-point shooting team. And it's not going to be effective because of how good Chet Holmgren is. I could talk a lot more about Chet. We're going to talk about him more throughout the week. I want to move on to a few other good things we saw in this game. The defense, as expected, was phenomenal at forcing turnovers. They forced 21 of them on the night. Obviously, some of them were just Dixie State making mistakes, but 21 turnovers 
for the Trailblazers in this game. That is fantastic. Fantastic work by the defense. Mostly fantastic by Anton Watson, Hunter Salas, Nolan Hickman, the three guys we knew would be menaces on the perimeter. They got long arms. They're really good at getting their hands in the passing lanes. We saw them anticipate and jump passes multiple times. We saw a few times where they missed. That's going to happen when you have defensive players who like to go after that steal and that big play. Occasionally, they're going to you know run into a guy, get called for a foul. They're going to run too early, get burned on a back door. We didn't see a ton of that. I don't think Dixie Tate State is frankly skilled enough to run a lot of that. I think if if Salas and Hickman are trying to jump lanes a lot, there, some good teams are going to make them pay for that. I can see that happening later in the year. But I like the aggressiveness. I think we're talking about a team that frankly is not as offensively well-rounded as last year's squad. That's not a secret. I don't think that should surprise anybody to hear that. This team is not as good offensively as last year's team, but they are better defensively. And I think their defensive improvements are probably at least comparable to the offensive deficiencies from last year's roster. So I think they're going to be a similarly credible team, similarly good roster, just in a different way. And I think you saw that in this game. The Zags had 10 steals and nine blocks. Yes, Chet had seven of those blocks, but still 10 steals, nine blocks against a, a Division One team. Not a great Division One team, but still, uh, I think this is going to be a really, really fun team to watch defensively. We saw them push push out on the perimeter. They were more aggressive out there, like I said, in part because they knew they could get away with it against this team, in part because they knew they had Chet Holmgren uh, patrolling down in the paint, blocking shots, clearing things out. We saw many opportunities where Dixie State had a had an advantage because somebody got out of position because they were going for a steal. They went into the paint and then Chet just erased everything. That gives this team so many more so much more ability to be aggressive defensively, things that they have not had in the past. And I think that that's a huge part. Yes, it's personnel. Salas and Hickman are better defensive perimeter players than many of the players Gonzaga have had in the past. But beyond that, they're also afforded that opportunity because of what Chad Holmgren can do down low. Next up on the good category, Anton Watson was an absolute force in this game. Uh, I don't I don't know how many of you play fantasy basketball. <laughs> I have no idea. If you do, you should check out the Lockdown Fantasy Basketball Podcast by Josh Lloyd. That is a free advertisement because that show is really, really good. Watson is the kind of dude who <laughs> would get drafted way higher in a fantasy league than you'd expect him to because he had seven assists. He had five steals. He had five points, three boards. He's not a huge scorer. He's, he's still not that guy yet. But seven assists and five steals is incredible. What a performance from Anton Watson, the kind of stuff that makes the box score look really pretty, but may not be something that a lot of folks are talking about after the game, just because he didn't pop in, in the, you know, he didn't have any big dunks, he didn't hit any threes, he didn't do any of that stuff, but he had such a calming presence on the court. He was outstanding on defense as we expected him to be, and he looked better on offense. He, he really did. He, he One of the, my favorite plays of the game, he got down the floor. He got into immediate position. They went to Chet. Chet dumped the ball to Anton. Anton was already right under the basket, had his dude pinned under the hoop, caught it, turned it around for an easy lay-in. That's the kind of aggressive look for your position, look for your spot, look for the basketball mentality we have not seen from Anton Watson. And we didn't see it because he wasn't—he was never really considered a focal point on offense the past two seasons. I speculated he may not be this year, and I still think for the most part he's not. I mean, again, he only had five points here, but the fact that he's going down and looking for his shot immediately, and as soon as he does and he establishes position, Gonzaga finds a way to get him the ball. That's huge. It's another avenue that this team has to find points. Uh, 
and find points away from the three-point line, which is where they struggled, which is what I want to talk about now. We're going to transition to the bad stuff. Uh, the shooting was really rough. Uh, they went over 10 from three in the first half by every player on the roster not named Rasir Bolton, who went two for three. Uh, they did go four for seven in the second half, which was much better to see. And I think the broadcast talked about this a little bit of the Zags probably should should take less threes. <laughs> that's that's going to be the recipe for success. If you can score under the basket, when you have Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren, and Drew didn't play a lot in the first half because he picked up two fouls early. He played money, a lot more minutes in the second half, probably contributed to them shooting less threes because they had Drew Timmy on the floor. And of course, they also had a bigger lead, at least for the last seven or eight minutes. So you're not going to shoot a bunch of threes when you're up by 25. But still, I think this team is going to have to rely less on the three-point shot. Uh, They finished six for 21. Bolton had three of them. (laughs) So only three made threes for non-Rasir Bolton players on this roster. They were split between Andrew Nembhard, Nolan Hickman, Julian Strother. Julian Strother had a great game, absolutely fantastic in the second half. I think he had 13 points in the second half. He he didn't shoot it great from the outside. That's fine. I, I think that's an okay thing. It's a little bit jarring to look at the box score and see the team only made six threes. There are going to be games that they need it. This wasn't one of them, but I'm going to tell you right now, there are games where Gonzaga is going to need to shoot the three better than this. They didn't do it tonight. That's okay. They're probably going to need to do it against Texas. They're going to need to do it against Duke. If they go six for 21 against those teams and Bolton's the only guy making threes, there's a chance they're going to run into some serious issues. You know, and I don't want to pour too much cold water on this, but it was, it was, it was a concern going into the season. It was a concern after both the exhibition games. It's still a concern now. This team does not have great perimeter shooting. If Julian Strother and Chet Holmgren are going to combine to make one three, that's probably going to not be a recipe for success for the majority of the year. And then the other bad thing was the turnovers. Uh, That's to be expected from a young team. I'm far less concerned about the turnovers going forward. They had 11 in the first half, but they only had four in the second half. 15 turnovers, not great. It's also not horrible. (laughs) It's manageable for a team that plays a lot of freshmen. Chet had five of them. So, you know, we're talking about Chet Holmgren having this elite, you know, monstrous game, one of the greatest debuts by a freshman zag in school history. And he had five turnovers. That's that's not great. But a lot of them were just freshman mistakes, you know, making passes to guys who weren't quite looking for the ball, who weren't ready for it, uh, fumbled the ball a few times, just things that things that will tighten up as the year goes on. I was pretty happy with the fact that Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman combined for one turnover. The two freshman guards, freshman guards are the most liable to, to be turnover prone. I think that's that's the case for most teams, at least. And for Salas and Hickman, who handled the ball quite a bit, to only have one combined turnover is pretty great. Uh, Anton Watson and Drew Timmy, uh, excuse me, Watson had three, Timmy had two. So that means that you have 10, 10 of your 15 turnovers between your three big men. That's a little unique. <laughs> that's a little odd. Gonzaga is obviously trying to infiltrate this high-low offense. They kind of went away from it the last few years after Killian Tilly left. They're bringing it back. I think that they're just they're they're ironing out the kinks of making this entry pass. We saw multiple times where the entry pass was just bad. It was just over the guy's head and went out of bounds. That was a lot of the turnovers. I don't have the exact figure in front of my head. I think at least three or four of the turnovers were that. Those will get tightened up as the year goes on. I'm not super worried about that. But it's worth noting that if the... If Gonzaga's three big men combined for 10 turnovers against Texas, it's probably going to be more of an issue than it was in this game. All right, we're not done talking about the first game of the season. In the second half, we're going to review my five keys to the game, which parts of those we haven't already discussed here in the first segment. Uh, Before we get there, though, let's talk about prize picks. All right, college football fanatics, have you heard about prize picks? Prize picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love this app, and I know that you will too. Prize picks is a leader in college sports daily fantasy. 
They offer more college football props than anyone in the world and offer all the star players from not only the Power 5 schools, but your favorite mid-major players as well. New users that deposit and use the promo code LOCKEDON will receive a 100% instant deposit match of up to $100. PrizePix allows mixed sport entries, so you can take the over on Chet Holmgren, which I recommend, along with the under on Patrick Mahomes, which I also recommend in the same entry. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It is that easy. Don't hesitate. Check out prizepix.com and use promo code LOCKEDON or go, or go to your app store and download the app today. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. This episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect. A place where classmates can meet up for a study group, knowing they'll have dependable Wi-Fi and endless supplies of French fries and McFlurries. Win or lose, it's a place where teammates, competitors, the home team, or the away team can come to recharge. It's the place you always look forward to stopping at on a long road trip to rest your legs and refuel. Growing up, it was the place to go for post-game celebrations, and for a while it even became a pre-game destination with their delicious breakfast menu. So head to your local McDonald's to refuel and reconnect. I'm loving it. All right, in the first segment, we recapped Gonzaga's season-opening victory over Dixie State. We talked good and bad. We talked Chet Holmgren, Anton Watson. We talked about the defense-forcing turnovers. We also talked a little bit about the three-point shooting and some of the turnover issues Gonzaga's offense had as well. Now, in the second segment, what I want to do is I want to revisit the five things to watch that I laid out in the episode prior to the Dixie State game. We're going to look at how those things played out worth pointing out that two of those things were three-point shooting, which we discussed quite heavily in the first segment, as well as Chet Holmgren, just in general, which we also discussed quite a bit. So I'm going to skip those two. We're going to focus on the other three things. The first one was pretty simple. The starting lineup. As we remember the two games against NII schools, the exhibition games, Gonzaga rolled out a different starting lineup for both those games. The expectation was that Gonzaga would probably go with the starting lineup they used in the first game against Eastern Oregon, and that was correct. They started Andrew Nembhard, Rasir Bolton, Julian Strother, Chet Holmgren, and Drew Timmy. In the second game, they'd started Hunter Salas in place of Julian Strother. I talked a handful of times about what I thought about the difference between those two things, and I, I stand by my thought that starting Strother is better because he adds more offense to a starting lineup that is already obviously very talented with Drew and Chet. Uh, you're, you're not going to be bad with Andrew Nembhard, of course, but I thought that adding Julian gives them more of an outside presence. It allows them to stretch the floor a little bit more. Uh, when you have two big men in the game, you want shooters around them. Gonzaga doesn't have a lot of shooters to choose from, so letting Julian be in that lineup is definitely good, especially with Rasir Bolton looking as good as he did from beyond the arc. I think I, I always hoped he would be one of the guys, if not the guy, to step up out of that guard rotation and be a legitimate three-point shooter. He looked like that in this game. We didn't address him in the good and bad, but he had a fantastic night. He, he looked very, very good from beyond the arc, which is something Gonzaga is really going to need him to do. I posted this on Twitter. I think there's going to be a lot of games this year where Rasir Bolton leads the team in scoring. It's going to happen quite a bit, even with Drew Timmy, even with Chet Holmgren, even with Julian Strother. I think Bolton's going to lead the team in scoring a bunch of times. But I think having Salas come off the bench, especially alongside Anton Watson or with Nolan Hickman, it just immediately puts pressure on the opposing team because those guys are so good defensively. Bringing in like a lineup of defensive stalwarts after you've already worn the team down a little bit is just is a phenomenal way to go. And I was happy to see Gonzaga revert back to the starting lineup with Strother in it. 
The other thing I, na- I mentioned was Dixie State's defensive game plan, which was interesting. So they started out the game in a man, which isn't too surprising. Most teams are going to start out in a man throughout the year. We saw them bring out a three-quarter court press at the under-eight timeout. It didn't really go anywhere. It just it, it Gonzaga broke it pretty easily. They abandoned it pretty quickly. But then they kind of they, they dropped into a zone defense, and from there they played quite a bit of zone, starting at the under-eight timeout in the first half and throughout a huge chunk of the second half. So we got to see Gonzaga's zone offense, which is something I've been really wanting to see throughout the year. And like I said, what they did is they just gave the ball to Chet Holmgren. That was it. That was the zone offense. It's a little bit more complicated than that. In fact, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Hunter Salas, who was the runner on the baseline, a role that I thought might go to Anton Watson, but it absolutely went to Salas. It makes sense because Salas was channeling his inner Joel Ayayi, uh, cutting without the ball. He moves extremely well without the basketball in his hands is one of the the things that really stands out about him, I mentioned one of my hot takes about this team is that Salas is going to have one of the highest field goal percentage among a guard. He's going to have the highest field goal percentage for a guard on this roster and last year's roster. And I stand by that. He looked phenomenal in that role this this game. And the way he does that, the way a player does that, is moving without the basketball, getting yourself easy looks around the rim. That's what Joel was extraordinary at. Hunter already looks so good at that. So their zone offense was basically get the ball to Chet in that soft spot. If the defense collapses on him, he either throws a pass down low. That's where that Caden Perry lob came from, one of the highlights of the game. That's where many passes came down to Anton Watson and Hunter Salas. If the defense doesn't collapse on him, Chet can take that shot. He can put the ball on the ground. Gonzaga's not a good outside shooting team. We've talked about that. We've we've continued to cover that. It will not be the last time we cover it. But they can break offenses, excuse me, they can break zone defenses effectively without bombing a bunch of threes especially when Chet Holmgren's on the floor. Now, when Chet's not on the floor, I think they can use Anton Watson in that role. He's not as much of a threat to turn and shoot, but he's he he had seven assists in his first game. He's clearly an adept passer. I think they can run it with Drew Timmy in that spot as well. We saw him start to stretch it out from the outside. He didn't knock anything down, but he was taking longer shots. I think they have ways to break the zone without effectively shooting the three. We did see some times in the second half where the offense got a little stagnant in that zone. They swung the ball around. They took open threes that are the shots that a zone defense gives you. Zone defense will give you open threes. Gonzaga just wasn't knocking them down. Eventually, they'll have games where they do. I think the three-point shooting is going to tick up. It's not going to stay as bad as it's been through the first three games. But on the games that it doesn't, they at least have ways to mitigate a zone defense's effectiveness without having to hit threes, and that's huge. And then the third thing is rotation minutes for the reserves. So the way the rotation worked, I obviously mentioned the starting lineup, Nembhard, Bolton, Strother, Holmgren, Timmy, Salas and Watson were the first two to come in. They came in early in the game. Uh, they came in for Julian Strother and Chet Holmgren. Uh, and then Hickman came in for Rasir Bolton after that, and Holmgren came back in for Drew. I think that's how the big man rotation is going to work. Anton's going to come in for Chet. Chet's going to come in for Drew. Now, this hap- this hap- was accelerated in this game because of Drew Timmy's foul trouble. That's not always going to be the case, obviously. But I like that rotation a lot. Let Watson come in, play with Drew, somebody he's familiar with, then let Chet come in for Drew, and then Chet and Anton can play together in a lineup that's going to be defensively really, really difficult for opposing teams to handle. Salas coming in for Strother makes sense for me. Obviously, those guys traded off being starters through the first two exhibition games, so I'm not surprised he comes in first. And then Hickman coming in for for Bolton makes sense. Andrew Nemhard's going to play an absolute crap load of minutes this year, so it doesn't surprise me that he's the last starter to come off the floor. That was the rotation, eight-man rotation for the vast majority of the game. We did see Caden Perry come in at the under eight media timeout in the first half. Now, it was 25 to six when Caden Perry came into the game. Uh, He looked great on offense. 
immediate he immediately energized the team with uh, with scoring he had the lob dunk he had some good post moves he's going to be great on that end he looked pretty darn bad on defense he was lost physically lost like he could not find his man he got driven directly past by offensive players uh he he was lost on the end of the floor i think for his first two minutes on the floor i was trying to keep track i don't have the exact number but i think he was minus six or maybe minus seven and a lot of it was because he did not know where his man was on defense i know people love caden perry i do too he's going to be really really good but he has some things he needs to work on mostly on the defensive end of the floor however he's clearly ninth in the depth chart right now i think that's totally fine ben Gregg has not done anything to pass caden perry on that portion of the depth chart up to this point. Greg came in after Caden Perry. He came in at the under four. He looked fine. He didn't really do a whole lot. He took a three, which I appreciate. He didn't knock it down, but it was a good shot. Uh, he didn't have any turnovers. <laughs> you know, he just he didn't he didn't do a whole lot. Uh, both of them played in the second half as well, but not really not at any point when the game was kind of in question, which, you know, for the first half first quarter of the second half, the game got pretty it got a little tenuous, you know, they got within 12, I think a couple of times. And, and we didn't see those guys at all in that time. We didn't really see them until the game was pretty comfortably out of hand. So I'm still sticking with it being an eight man rotation. I think we'll see both Perry and Greg frequently throughout the season in four to five minute spurts, most likely at the end of games, uh, similar to how we saw Umar Balo and Pavel Zakharov at times. I think that's kind of the, the gist. Maybe it'll be one guy over the other guy. And if it, if so, at this point, it looks like that's going to be Caden Perry. He deserves it. I think that's that's definitely a role he's earned, but I didn't get the sense from this game that either of those guys are going to be firmly in the rotation going forward. We'll, we'll get a much better sense of that against Texas, obviously, and depending on how that game goes, but I wouldn't be surprised if neither of those guys play uh, against the Longhorns. All right, that's enough about Gonzaga's first game of the season. We're going to have more throughout the week. Of course, we're going to do Andy Locks. We're going to preview the Texas game. we got plenty to talk about regarding the Zags, but now it is Wednesday, and I promised you WCC Wednesdays were going to be a thing. So in the third segment, we're going to talk about the first game for all of the schools in the West Coast Conference, how they did or how they're doing as I'm recording this, because some of those games are still happening and what it could mean for the conference going forward. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Bill Barr. Bilt Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, plain and simple. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Bilt Bar has nine delicious flavors, including some all-time favorites like raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, coconut, and my personal favorite, salted caramel. Of course, Bilt Bar is not only great tasting, they are healthy too. Most Bilt Bar flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty and all healthy. Go to BuiltBar.com now and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your first order. Locked on Zags is also brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline is back and better than ever. BetOnline has a new web interface for the start of the NBA and college basketball season and features more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball postseason, NHL, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports.
Alright, welcome back. We've talked Gonzaga and their season opening win over Dixie State. Now I want to pivot and talk about the WCC. It is Wednesday. It's WCC Wednesday. I'm hoping to bring you guys content about the rest of the conference throughout the season so we're more prepared when Gonzaga faces these teams. I know these games are not often uh, particularly competitive, I guess is the best way to put it, uh, for the Zags, but I think it's still fun to kind of see how things are going around the conference as many people are expecting, hoping, optimistic that the conference will start to kind of take some of those collective steps forward, not just from Gonzaga and BYU and St. Mary's. The first game of the WCC season was for the Portland Pilots against Arizona State. They lost 76-60, to 16-point loss for the Pilots, which actually doesn't feel all that bad considering how anemic this team was last season. They obviously have a ton of change turnover. They lost the vast majority. I believe they didn't return a single scholarship player to their roster this year. That's what happens when you are very bad and also lose your head coach, Terry Porter, who was fired and they brought in Shantae Leggins, the old coach from Eastern Washington. Uh, Chris Austin had 22 points for the Pilots. Fordham transfer. He looked pretty good in this one. Seven for 17 from the field. Mike Meadows, one of the many Eastern Washington transfers on this roster, 16 points and seven rebounds. The Pilots only had 10 assists, but they did shoot 90% from the free throw line. Uh, they also had 21 turnovers. Uh, it was kind of an up and down game for the Pilots. Uh, they were only down six at half, so to lose by 16 is a little bit disappointing. I'm not expecting great things from the Pilots this year, but I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, at the very least, it's pretty clear to me that they're going in the right direction. Next up, this was an ugly, ugly one. Pepperdine lost 63-82 to to Rice, the Rice Owls. Uh, we knew Pepperdine was gonna was gonna, <laughs> was gonna have a rough year. They obviously they lost Colby Ross and Kessler Edwards. They're two two of the best players in program history, quite frankly. Um, and so to to lose those two guys really puts you in a tough spot. Uh, Houston Maletti was the star for them. He was a true freshman. He had eighteen points, six boards, five assists off the bench. Shot five for ten on threes. Uh, pretty interesting guy. I, I like seeing young guys like this. I watched a fair amount of this game. It was on right before the Gonzaga game. Uh, he's got a ton of energy. Super enthusiastic. Uh, score first guy. Reminds me a little bit of what we kind of are expecting to see out of Dominic Harris. Uh, obviously not as good, but similar type of player. And I think I think he's going to be fun. Uh, they need something fun to, to root for for the waves there. Uh, Jan Zidek had uh, 8.6 boards on 4 of 11 shooting. Uh, they got absolutely smoked in the second half. Uh, lost Outscored by 18 points in the second half to Rice, I think. You can see glimpses of, of this team potentially being good down the line, but they're pretty rough right now. Romo, Lorenzo Romo's got his work cut out for him uh, down, down in California. Santa Clara earned the first victory for the WCC, or I guess second victory behind the Zags. Uh, they won 84-77 to against Big West Cal State Fullerton. Uh, Yusef Frankich was a monster in this game. Probably the best performance of anybody in the WCC. I'm willing to say that with apologies to Chet Holmgren, but Frankich had 29 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists, and 5 steals. He went 13-20 for 20 from the field. Absolutely ridiculously efficient game from Frankich against Fullerton. Uh, the team went 11 for 13 from the free throw line. They only had eight turnovers. This was a really nice game for Santa Clara. Fullerton's not great, but you know they're they're better than a lot of the teams that some of these uh, WCC teams played in their first game. And they went out and and stole a victory from a solid Big West school. Uh, if they can shoot you know over 90 percent from the free throw line and commit less than 10 turnovers a game, I don't think that's going to stick. But if they do those things pretty consistently. They're going to be a better team this year than a lot of people are expecting them to be. Next up, this is a pretty disappointing one. LMU lost to Chattanooga, uh, scores 74 to 64. Uh, LMU is a team that a lot of people had some really, really high hopes for, still do. Hopefully, I, I can't imagine this game's changing everybody's minds too much, but it was, it was an ugly one. 
Uh, Leo Pepe, their Kile Leo Pepe, their big man who was <laughs> a big meme last year because he's six six and built like a football player. He had seventeen points, seven rebounds, three for eight from behind the arc. A really nice performance from him. Eli Scott had eleven points, eleven rebounds on four of nine shooting. I don't know why Eli Scott's only taken nine shots for this team. He's their best offensive player by a considerable amount. It's kind of odd to see him not getting as involved. They shot seven for 28 from the three, uh, 65% from the free throw line. Just, Just an ugly performance from a team that people had a lot higher hopes for this year. All right, the rest of the games I'm talking about are still happening, but I'm going to go through them. Uh, most of them are almost over. St. Mary's is up 83-66 to 66 on Prairie View A&M. Not too, super surprising that they're winning this one. Uh, a little surprising that Tommy Cousy only has three points in this contest. He's one for four from the field, one for three from three. He does have eight assists, which is a pretty remarkable line for Cousy, obviously one of their best players over the last couple of years. Their star is Alex Dukas, a junior guard. 8 for 16 from the field for 6 for 13 from 3, 22.6 rebounds, 3 steals for him. Uh, St. Mary's is going to be doing this every year or every game. This is what they do. They hold teams to very few points. I'm pretty surprised to see 84 for them on the books, especially when you consider that they didn't only got 3 from Tommy Cousy, but they shot 42% from 3, 13 for 31. Uh, if St. Mary's is hitting 13 threes a night, they're, they're going to cause some problems this year. I can tell you that right now. Next two can be pretty quick. Uh, San Francisco and San Diego are absolutely demolishing their respective teams. San Francisco is up 83-48 to against the Long Island University Sharks. Uh, really balanced scoring attack from them. Shabazz has 16. Bouye has 14. They have a couple other guys. Uh, Masalaskis with 12, the Washington State transfer. Uh, two guys with nine. Really balanced scoring attack from the Dons. And San Diego is currently winning 78-26. to against the Laverne Leopards, a ridiculous performance from the Toreros, one of the most difficult teams for me to really pin down ahead of the season because of how many transfers they had because they had such a shortened season last year. Browns got 13-5 and five for them. Calcaterra, their star from last year, has got 10 points, three steals, three boards. Uh, I think they're going to be, I think they're going to surprise some people this year. I think they're going to be a little bit better than some people expect them to be. I, I'm not judging a performance against Laverne as really anything too Putting too much talk into it, I guess, is the best way to put it. But I think they're a team that could could do some damage this year. Same with San Francisco, obviously, a team that a lot of people, kind of a trendy pick as a, as a sleeper potentially in the NCAA tournament or at least a team that, that could do some damage in the WCC championship. And then the last game here, BYU looks like they're going to escape against the Cleveland State Vikings at 63-56 to as I'm recording this right now. Uh, it's been pretty tenuous the entire game, uh, which is pretty frightening if you're a BYU fan. Cleveland State not known as a basketball powerhouse by any stretch of the imagination. They also didn't really shoot it all that well. Cleveland State, 37% from the field, only four made threes, only 64% from the free throw line, but BYU just just struggled in this one all throughout, 45% from the field, 30% from three. Uh, they did shoot 85% from the free throw line, which is good. Alex Barcelo was was fantastic. 20 points on nine for nine from the line, five of six from the field, six field goal attempts for Alex Barcelo, and he put up a 20 spot. That's pretty dang good. He also had four assists and two steals. I'd be a little worried if I was BYU. Again, it's one game. It's not not the end of the world, but they, they really looked lackadaisical and, and kind of uh, slow, slow out of the gate against Cleveland State. All right, that is going to do it for WCC Wednesday slash, of course, our recap of the Dixie State game. we got some more fun stuff this week. Thursday, of course, is Andy Locks. You submit your hot takes 
about this team, about the Texas game, about Zags and the NBA, whatever the hell you want to submit a hot take about, you send it to me. I'll put it in the show. I'll grade it too hot, too cold, or just right. Friday's show is going to be a great one as well. We have a guest joining us, somebody who's from Houston, followed the Texas basketball program for a long time. He's going to be a great resource uh, learning everything about this team and the new players on it uh, ahead of the biggest game of the season potentially on Saturday against the Longhorns. All of that right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts, soon to be available on YouTube. Another reminder, podcast links will be on Twitter at Locked On Zags and on my personal Twitter account, which you can find at ScoreZagScore. Finally, thank you again for making this show your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen the Locked On NBA podcast. You can get all your daily NBA updates from a variety of league experts while checking in on your favorite Zags playing at the next level. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!